0: Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business podcast. My name is Matthew DeMello. I'm senior editor here at Emerge. Today's guests on the program are WorkFusion vice president and head of AI, Paul Tepper, and senior director of product management, Tina Rowe. WorkFusion is a software company with over $340 million in funding that blends RPA and IA, a process generally referred to as intelligent automation, to help businesses digitize their operations. On today's program, Paul and Tina join us to explain what differentiates intelligent automation from regular automation and why compliance and financial crime are particularly well-suited workflows for intelligent automation as a solution. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Paul and Tina, thank you so much for being on the program this week.
1: Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us on, Matt.
0: So starting from the top, I think it's an answer a, a portion of our audience knows. But just to begin, what is the difference between what's called intelligent automation and robotic process automation. Let's start with Paul.
1: Okay. There's a few different ways, I guess I would answer this, but I would start by just saying a lot of it has to do with the knowledge that goes into it. So Mm -hmm. RPA is kind of, a lot of it's about kind of recording an action and then playing it back. So a lot of people liken it to like, you know, macros on steroids right so the idea is like you you have maybe Mm -hmm. potentially multiple applications you could have a browser you could have a spreadsheet you could have a word document and you're recording an action that maybe goes across multiple different applications there could be rules and stuff in between to help process it what it mostly comes down to is recording some action and then playing it back whereas intelligent automation is much more on the side of ai so you did hit it when you said is it like you know is it really about ai but it's like really what i like to think about it is We're encoding the knowledge and the expertise of a subject matter expert into an automation. So AI is certainly part of it, but so is integration, pulling information from different systems, transforming that information, and really encoding the the business processes and the knowledge that some subject matter expert is currently doing into this automation and capturing something at a much, I guess, deeper level than what you'd get with RPA.
0: Right, right. I've heard it described in the past, and we're we'll move to Tina to add in a, in a moment. I've heard it described in the past as kind of like the arms and the hands of of usually a, a digital transformational process, yeah. but the brain will be the AI what's performing the task, machine learning, et cetera. Tina, anything to add there in terms of the the differentiation we want to make between intelligent automation and RPA?
2: Yeah, I see the main difference between RPA and intelligent automation as RPA is a component of intelligent automation. As Paul said earlier, right. RPA is desktop help tool, kind of making sure you can point and click between a couple applications and, you know, helping out a person, whereas intelligent automation is really more end-to-end complex workflows and use cases with the key portion of including AI in it as well. You know, you could use AI to like extract information to just help you with like a little desktop thing, but the spirit of intelligent automation Mm -hmm. is trying to do complex workflows where you have to do a lot of decision making and really thinking of higher value use cases that are hard to execute with just kind of right. point and click actions.
0: Diving in right there, what about compliance in, in financial crime especially is particularly well suited for intelligent automation as it is just for the, the product line that you guys got at WorkFusion? Tina, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, so financial crime and compliance is such an excellent use case for AI and intelligent automation. So there's significant amounts of data and the penalty of doing this incorrectly is a huge fine. So everything needs to be done consistently. You need to interpret large amounts of changing data. Like there's new crimes that happen. There's new people who are getting added to watch lists. Like fraud transaction patterns can change over time. And there's so much data. And you can actually use that to then consistently make a decision or consistently identify patterns that can help you fight this kind of financial crime. Like A really good example is sanction screening or transaction screening. When a person is hired to do sanction screening alert review, they get a little guide, it's maybe one page, and it says, if this, this, and this happens, this is a sanctions alert and you need to actually escalate it to a person. But in reality, it's a lot of like tribal knowledge that they gain by just looking at all the decisions that people in the past have made and asking their manager. Mm -hmm. This is not like encoded and it's also a bit of a gut feeling. And so we're able to take the vast amounts of data on how people made decisions in the past and actually use that to train an AI model to actually make that decision consistently as well. So, yeah.
0: Right. And and Paul, anything to add? Sure,
1: yeah. So I don't come from the finance world, not not where my background is, I'm from the AI world, right? So I learned this stuff later in life. And it's one of these things where when you Mm -hmm. actually try to understand what is compliance, what does it actually mean? You start to just immediately get it, right? In the case of say like Mm -hmm. payment processing or transaction screening, we're talking about millions and billions of payments being processed every day, all around the world. And when you look at just sanctions in particular, what is sanction screening? It means that somebody, some organization like OFAC has published a list. and um, When you talk about you know, Russia's being sanctioned or North Korea's being sanctioned, that's a list. It's a list right. of countries and peoples and, and names and companies. That's all it is. So somebody, usually it's like the state of the art tends to be some kind of a rule, plus maybe a person looking at it has to go through every single payment and say, is it this person? Is it this person? Right, for every single one. I mean, you can't really think of a better, a better situation to really be thinking about automation, right? It's a super manual, repetitive task. It's prone to a lot of fatigue. And then I'll go back to what Tina said around consistency. A lot of times I feel like when we bring AI to task on these things, we actually improve the consistency because the people who do these a lot of these systems, they are from the finance world, actually. They're not trained in things like inter-annotator agreement and reliability, which people like me who build data sets for AI systems for a living do know about. What does that mean? It means if you show the same decision to two people or three people or four people, will they all make the same decision? Oftentimes we go in and we see things where they're like, nope, they do We can't repeat it. And why is it? why right. is that? Because they made something too complicated. It's too hard of a decision. It can't get consistency. So by bringing AI to bear, you can actually improve the internal processes. You can actually say, okay, we're going to make the process more consistent, so we can build tra- better training data, and we can train a model, and then you actually have this like beautiful virtuous cycle of you know the people are doing better, the humans are doing better, and
0: yeah. You're touching on something there, and I'm hoping we can expand there, Paul, in terms of how bespoke do those models need to be versus how similar is the task from organization to organization? I think for as big as this use case is, those commonalities have to be very, very strong. But if we can put a finer point on that.
1: Yes and no. Yeah, both, I would say. So for for one thing, there are various kinds of standard setting bodies. Many of them are not Compliance oriented. Many of them are like the banks themselves getting together and saying, "Like we have to do this consistently." So how can we do that? And some of them are compliance oriented and regulatory. But yes, in some cases, look. Think about the core act of what I just said here. Right? You're looking at a name and comparing it to another right. name. So there's always going to be some consistency in some of those core models because they're doing the exact same thing. Right? They're pulling out a name and they're comparing it to another mm-hmm. name, or pulling out an organization compared to an organization. But then on top of it there are going to be unique things about each organization and the way they've developed their business process. You know, how many people have to look at it? What is the escalation process? What are the, what does it mean to have a red flag and those kinds of things we also build into our product. So we'll often share the core models, but then we'll build sort of various kinds of decision rules and decision processes that let the c- customer control and, you know, rank, re-rank, change threshold, et cetera, so that they can really capture the uniqueness mm-hmm. while at the same time you know, there's a product. I mean, we're, we're in a business here. If there wasn't replicability and repeatability, we wouldn't be able to do this as a business. And, and there, there is.
0: Indeed, indeed. And Tina, anything to add there?
2: Yeah, to put a finer point on Paul's examples where there is actually a good amount of consistency of does this name match that name? but the procedures are different. So for example, one customer will include middle names in terms of the name similarity when deciding if it matches the sanctions list and one customer will not. Some customers do want you to make businesses into acronyms and other customers are not. So the decision of whether this acronym matches this entity is consistent, but the opting in or out of using these kind of business rules is where the companies change. So the way that we kind of architect all of our models is each of the models makes a different decision and then the customer can kind of rearrange them. So if the name matches, but the location doesn't match, you know, do this. If the name is a partial Mm -hmm. match or it's only slightly similar and the location does match, do that. So that's how we really, we give them the flexibility to operate by their business procedures, but we do Mm -hmm. have the same models across most of our customers. Something I
0: found very interesting about you guys, and and I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of explain it more fully, is that in your marketing, you know, these software products and these workflows are kind of synthesized into what you refer to as digital workers. These are not avatars; they aren't. These are not chat bots. I, I was wondering if you could kind of explain you know, how that functions with the product, what are the advantages you see in that in terms of communicating to an organization that this is the proper way to handle that workflow and, and where, where you're sitting, seeing the rubber hit the road and making that difference? Tina, let's stay with you to answer that.
2: I think the greatest way to explain the value of an AI automation is to liken it to something that's currently happening. And so we decided to really use the terminology of digital workers, just to call back about the difference of intelligent automation versus just you know, an assistant on your desktop. We're using the digital workers and literal job descriptions of what people are doing now to really highlight to kind of business leaders in financial crime and compliance, what will they get when they actually implement this automation? So by likening it to a job that's currently being done, it really puts them in the mentality of business value and ROI rather than a science experiment, which is, can be kind of like traditional RPA of or AI could just be a science experiment to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I see it. I do see it treated that way in many organizations sometimes and depending on the sector to their advantage, but Paul, anything to add there?
1: Not much really. Like I would say it's just maybe in the last couple of months or even days that like everybody is talking about what a large language model is, or you know what uh, yeah. what, what some yep. of this stuff is. It's really like I mean we're at a we're at a very interesting moment for folks like me in in the course of history of what people understanding AI is. But what I would say is that like a big part of my job, Work Fusion, even before that, has always been explaining to people how AI works and what it does in kind of like terms that anybody would understand. And it's hard. It's hard to understand the value of these things. It's hard to understand how they work and what their limitations are and what their weaknesses and strengths are. And this is really, we talk about innovation a lot, right? In the technology world. It's really common. But what you don't hear as often is what innovation looks like in marketing, innovation looks like in sales, but it's just as important to a company that's trying to sell software, right? I would look at digital workers as an innovation in that way. So it makes it easier for us to explain what the value is how these things work in a in a in a package that you know any sort of more business oriented person who's you know hasn't had a lot of experience and background with ai can understand
2: if i could expand yes, on yes, that absolutely. a little bit more go ahead i think it's no longer cool to just tout the fact that you have ai or machine learning so as a business leader you're not saying hey i have the latest model i have this it's not cool anymore everyone has this right so when we think of workers as well we are talking about like a complete tool set with machine learning models to do what you need done rather than just saying we have the coolest AI model. So the business owners in financial crime and compliance can really just think of getting to the outcome rather than like the bag of tools that was needed to actually create it. So we really try to put it that way,
0: right. right. So really, by humanizing the product that kind of creates a layer where everybody takes the process a little bit more seriously and helps to build trust that it happens to a degree and and, in very mitigated, but automatically. I think that's really, really interesting. We're actually going to wrap things up right there, at least for the compliance use case. We'll be hosting you guys again to talk about the other use cases that WorkFusion specializes in, specifically media surveillance and customer experience. Looking forward to that conversation. And thank you both again for being on the program for us this week.
1: Great. Thank you for having us.
0: Before wrapping up today's episode, I think how Paul and Tina explain intelligent automation and its particular strengths in the compliance space within financial services is particularly compelling. From the outside, the difference between intelligent automation and regular can be much more subtle to observe. When Paul and Tina join us again in a few weeks, we'll talk about where these lines and polarities start to blur with use cases in media surveillance and automating customer service workflows. What's very interesting there is that we're seeing the technology lead the discussion away from how we've differentiated the problems in terms of categorizing them as both outside the organization or within the organization. It's very, very interesting stuff. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business podcast.